This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Morena no mai kiti korero. Welcome to the catch up on Manawatu People's Radio. Tereo irarangi onatangata o Manawatu. It is time to turn our attention to Manawatu District Council. And as usual, on the phone, we're delighted to have Mayor Helen Warboys uh, on on the phone. How are you this morning, Helen? Uh, very, very good. Yes, only way to be. <laughs> yes. Um, hopefully, uh, the weather not getting you down. It's taken a bit of a chilly turn. Has and I'm worried about all those little lambs out there, um, but it is winter time, so we've been pretty lucky to date. And I suppose that's a fairly interesting point. I mean, we often hear in times of uh, excessive weather, either drought or, or too much water, um, you know, far, the farming community often relies on support from central government. Uh, does local government get involved in any of those things? As far as what, what were you thinking of? Well, just in general terms of, of supporting the community. I mean, the central government support is, is oftentimes in the form of financial support, but is there anything that Manawatu District Council mobilises in, time, in times of uh, drought or, or, or other uh, hardship? Uh, yes, when it, when it gets to that extreme level, then, then you'll remember during COVID, uh, we had that Pride in Our Land uh, recovery package, but it wasn't about covid it was about coming out of the drought from that summer and then being hit by a number of things, including COVID. And council put a lot of uh, resources into that pride in our land recovery, uh, working with MPI, and we're still doing that. So um, it's an ongoing thing for the rural community. Fair enough. Well, let's turn, turn to uh, some more current things. Uh, you wanted to talk about the Glen Oroa uh, Community Committee. Uh, yes, we are very exciting. We had a, a request from the Glenarua Taikaria community. They came to council last week wanting to form a community committee. And uh, as listeners will know, uh, Manawatu District has 16 rural community committees around our district who work incredibly well. So these are people in the local community uh, who are passionate about what they do, want to get on and do things. And so they, we have a, uh, it's an informal structure, not a community board. They're all volunteers. We appoint a liaison councillor to be that conduit between council and that community. We give them $3,000 a year as some base funding, uh, and we support them with projects. And we have a community project fund they can apply to for projects. And we also help them facilitate uh, a 10-year plan for their community. What would they like to see? What is their vision? So the Glenarua Taikaria community came along and said uh, we would like to be one too. And uh, so they have Glenarua Hall and the school, which is kind of a hub for those communities. And we were very pleased to say yes, absolutely support them with that. We've appointed Councillor Grant Hadfield as the liaison councillor. And the next step is to hold a public meeting for that community for them to elect their community committee members and thereafter, they'll be part of our community committee. There seems to be, been a, I don't want to say a flurry, but in, certainly in terms of the creaky old bureaucratic machine, I remember not so long ago it was Kiwitia that had come forward uh, wanting their own committee. Is, is this a, a, a sort of a, a, a two-way beneficial arrangement? Is this a way for, for MDC to perhaps better engage, particularly with some of the more outlying areas of the district? 
spot. It's absolutely, it's a win-win for, for both. It's a way for those rural communities to have regular, con, regular connection with the uh, council. Our liaison councillor goes along. I, I do the rounds around them all during the year, and there's a spot in there for up to, us to update what's going on in council, uh, anything that's coming up that we want their thoughts on. But it's more importantly, it's a, it's a way to empower the local community to, uh, to revitalise, refresh, upgrade, um, bring their community together both in wellbeing, if there may be some physical things they want to improve. Um, it's just a great way for council to get behind local communities. Um, far be it for you to get involved in Palmerston North City Council uh, arrangements, but I know it recently uh, Bunnythorpe, which used to be in Manawatu and is now in the uh, Palmerston North uh, boundary, uh, put an application forward uh, to the City Council to be uh, to, to start a community board. They've been turned down. Uh, is there any advice that you'd give uh, to Bunnythorpians uh, who are wanting that level of, I don't know, uh, a heard voice or advocacy in the council chambers? Uh, well, my, I don't know a lot about it, but my understanding is that they do have a community committee, as they did when they were under the NDC uh, structure here. But um, a board takes it to another level where they, the board members are elected by the community, they are paid, uh, so that's, that has to be come out of the ratepayers' funds uh, for those people. Um, so it, it just jumps to another level. But as far as we're concerned, the, the community committee is, is the voice of their community back to council. And so maybe they feel that their voice isn't being heard through that way and they think that stepping that up might be the way to do that. I, I don't know the, the details, but I know in our example, community committees work incredibly well. And what we're hearing loud and clear is that, no, we don't want to go to community boards. Fair enough too. Uh, is there anywhere in the Manawatu district that perhaps uh, you would like to see a community committee that perhaps one doesn't exist at the moment if anyone's pricking up their ears and going, oh, that might be a good idea? Uh, absolutely, definitely. You know, we're talking about how well the representation is around Manawatu district, but they're all in our rural communities. So our urban population in Fielding doesn't have a community committee. They did try and set one up um, a couple of, two or three years ago. Um, in my view, they floundered around because they couldn't, you know, it's quite different. A, a small rural community doesn't have, usually doesn't have anything aside from the Board of Trustees at the school, uh, a way for the community to come together. Whereas in the urban areas, there's lots of community groups and organisations, etc. Um, so people, you know, join and do all sorts of projects. But, you know, it's about how would you define a community committee for fielding? Is it, is it like an old ratepayers association? Is it where all those other community groups come together through one entity? Uh, so we haven't quite tidied that one up yet. And, and also to bear in mind, it's not council telling communities to have a community committee. That the, the request must come from that community. There has to be a desire for them to want to do that. 
but I do see a big gap sitting here in the fielding community. Well, perhaps one way we could uh, rile them up a bit is to talk about the buses in fielding, because this hasn't exactly been a a smooth sailing uh, operation, trying to get uh, more robust bus services uh, in fielding. From memory, there was, um, there is a a Palmerston North to fielding and back again bus that basically goes to fielding, does a circuit and comes back again. There was a proposal, I think, to have uh, a fielding service that basically Emulates that whip round the whole city uh, without coming back to Palmerston North again. Uh, you, I believe you've got a bit of an update for us on the buses. Uh, yes, we're making really good progress uh, with Horizons and our passenger fielding bus service uh, little group. The, you're right, the Palmy to fielding service is a commuter service, but it is a Palmerston North service that does go around some of fielding. So what we've been pushing for, and we've got over the line now, is uh, we got the additional funding through the 10-year plan from Horizons to set up the new fielding bus service. Uh, so what we've stressed is that this is a fielding bus service. It's, um, it's very much, we want it to run, so that it's, it's for the community uh, that we get the bus size right, we get the route right, we get the timetable easy. But I guess my, um, my update is very positive. The additional funding has come through. Uh, We've agreed that even though we challenged whether we needed another big bus going around, unfortunately the next size down is just too small for the anticipated use. And once you get a wheelchair or a pushchair onto the bus, then that reduces the number of passengers. So we've agreed that we need to go for the full-size bus. We've agreed on the route, uh, and this has been to include right out into our precinct four where the new growth area is, up, up Lethbridge Street, back down Marquino Road. But more importantly, this new service will go past Woodlands Rest Home where there's 106 villas, uh, people there that currently have no public transport into town. So that one's been agreed on. Uh, we're now working on the timetable. We're saying we want it simple and easy to remember. For example, it goes on the hour every hour. Uh, so people don't have to find a timetable or turn up and wait. They know when it's going to happen. So the bus is being ordered, and we're planning for a January 2022 start for this new service. And we've also talked to Horizons about we want a community promotion uh, when the service starts, encouraging everybody to go and give it a go and uh, to, to give us some feedback. We'd like the bus to be brightly coloured, promoting shop and fielding, etc. So I think it's exciting. Yes, it's taken a while, but uh, we've got it across the line. So it's good. It sounds good that you're uh, you're factoring in some vulnerable communities and people that don't have access to other forms of transport. Uh, are they going to be able to get to the destinations that they need to go to, for example, uh, health appointments and, and groceries and the like? Absolutely. This route takes in the uh, going up Duke Street to the health centre, which currently the commuter bus doesn't, and also it takes in a couple of the schools, which the commuter bus currently doesn't do. So this is really going to add value to what we've already got with the commuter bus. Um, but cover. So the, the aim of this is that this is a fielding bus service, independent of the Palmy one that comes here, so that's a bonus. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about this, and the key will be getting the locals to use it because if you don't use it, you'll then lose it. And having 
worked really hard with Horizons for some time, it's great to have actually got this this on the table, ready to go. As the adage goes, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Do you think Fielding will uh, have a sip of this and give it a go? I think if we're clever enough with some sort of promotion to kick this off, um, so that, you know, what I'd like to tempt people is whether, whether you think you might use the service or not, at least give it a go. And if we could have a bit of a promotion or something or other with a really good prize or prizes, to say, hey, jump on the bus, uh, give it a go, do whatever, and you'll go in the draw to win whatever it might be. Um, I just think there's a really good opportunity about pushing shop local and using the bus service to get there, including our businesses to get the workers to and from work as well. We are here with Mayor Helen Warboys for the catch-up on Manawatu People's Radio. If you'd like to listen to this edition of the catch-up series or previous editions, just head to the website mpr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your online listening. Um, We've covered this uh, a few times over the past few weeks, Helen, and last week, last fortnight, we spoke about Three Waters. Uh, It was more questions than answers. There had been the local government New Zealand conference uh, where, uh, in fairness, the local government minister was there for the vast majority of the time but didn't seem to be able to assuage uh, most of your fears or concerns around the reforms. You've got some update on this for us. Uh, Absolutely, yes. There's been a lot of spin around this and what we're now hearing from our community is they're saying we want more details on it and uh, we want to know what council's view is on the Three Waters reform and as I've mentioned before, the frustration for us has been getting some answers to the questions but more importantly, getting the facts and figures behind the modelling of what they've told us it would look like for our ratepayers if we join and if we don't around the cost. Uh, We've finally got that information, our team is going through that. We're hoping to hold uh, an urgent workshop with our elected members to share that information for us to have a view on this, but also the government's given us an eight-week period starting on the 1st of August to analyse this whole proposal, have a look at it. The government's saying they're not requiring us to consult with our community in this time frame. Uh, They are saying they will have a look at it on the 1st of October and then set out what the next steps are, and we are hoping that uh, that does allow for consultation with our community. Now, I've seen some uh, councils and mayors around the country who are calling for a referendum to be done on the Three Waters reform, asking our community, do you want us to join or not? But before we can even do that, we need to get the facts and figures out to our community, not some of the spin that we've been seeing, particularly around the national advertising that we've seen. So, you know, we've just come out of a workshop Um, a webinar with Local Government New Zealand and some of these questions are now starting to be answered but there's still a lot more to go and uh, we'll have our workshop here we'll get our heads around the data specific for our Manawatu district ratepayers and then we'll be able to go out to the community uh, with much more information so that we can make an informed decision
Um, when we spoke last time about this, you said that there was an, an air of doubt over whether you'd even be able to opt out of this. There wasn't a, a straight answer given to the question, can we opt out? If that is still the, this, this sort of arbitrary uh, area, is there any point in providing any feedback within that eight-week deadline or do you just have to take what you're given? Well, at the moment, they're saying opt-out is still an option. However, when you drill down and say, so what does that look like? We're not being given straight answers. We're basically being told, you know, you need to have faith in what's being proposed. And, and loud and clear, we're hearing is that the business as usual, what we currently have is not the way of the future with new regulations, new demands. But I would still say, OK, we accept that. We will get new regulations, new standards to meet. But is the proposed model where the government take the assets and debt off local councils, is that the best model or should we leave it with councils as we have with some resourcing to meet the new standards or is there another model in between? And they're saying this eight-week period is for us to question all of that um, and, and come up with is this the right model that the government's proposing? We have asked the question. We've said... What other models did you look at? Have you considered the business-as-usual model? Not getting a lot of answers out of that. We're just being told that the current model, with every council in the country doing something different, won't work. But I'm saying, hang on, if there's going to be new regulations, some resourcing put into those councils to meet those new standards. Because what they're not saying is that regardless of who looks after three waters, the man that our ratepayers, our taxpayers are going to pay. So whether you're a ratepayer or a taxpayer, you're going to pay. Uh, so we, the, the argument comes down to, so who's best to look after that? And we're yet to be convinced that handing it over to a new entity, uh, of, of which the we four in the country, is the right way to go. So, you know, hopefully in another couple of weeks we'll have seen the data for our community and have a much better handle around how this might work. Do you get the feeling that the government have gone so far down one path that they are reluctant to turn and take a different route? Oh, absolutely. And the question we're saying is, if you know, you're saying that, that they won't give us a straight answer for opt-out, so we're saying, well, if you intend that we have to be all in, why don't you just go ahead and mandate it? So we're all going, OK... How do we make this work? But the hardest thing is when you hear the government saying, have faith in us, Uh, we want to work in partnership with you. You And I'll give you a really good example of partnership. They say they want to work in partnership, but our council to date has lost five staff, three seniors and two building inspectors who've been poached from our council to Kayangora to build houses. And we're going, how does that make sense? Work... Government needs to work with councils, not use taxpayer money to compete against us. And that's the bit where I have a fundamental problem. And the other thing uh, on this matter is this all started, of course, with concerns around drinking water, something that you're all uh, too well aware of with the the, the PFAS uh, issue in Ohakia, but also uh, there were issues down in Dunedin. There was the E. coli uh, issues in Hawke's Bay. These have been signals to the government that something needs to be done. I think we can all agree something needs to be done to improve the quality of drinking water, but this has somehow migrated to a discussion around three waters, which 
which also includes wastewater and stormwater. So is there is there uh, is the intention at the moment to focus on just the freshwater or is the proposal now to take all assets related to all three waters? Uh, all three waters are included in this. Um, of course, drinking water is the one that um, people see the most of because you turn the tap on and there's the expectations that it's at a certain quality. But um, the expectations around wastewater and stormwater, they're our biggest concerns because they are, you know, they're incredibly complex topics and how do we manage that? And we're not getting a lot of information out of this proposed reform about how that will work. We all agree that the standards do need to uh, improve and there needs to be consistency with a regulator across the country. Absolutely no problem with that. But how do you do that? And we're not convinced that government taking it and handing it to an entity um, is the way for it, is the best way. It may be the best way, but to date they haven't convinced us of that. Because this, I mean, this is an interesting one. The fresh water, uh, yes, okay, but to take all three waters, I mean, again, I use a Palmerston North example because that is where we're situated right now, but I've reported to the Palmerston North City Council numerous times, and this isn't a dig, everyone's got their own little issue, uh, a blocked drain. It's always blocked. It never seems to be unblocked. It always floods when there's heavy rainfall. If this all goes through, will I have to phone a central government agency to ask them to clear that drain now? And if so, is this the point where people start saying, well, what are councils for if they're not going to handle uh, the the infrastructure that's under the pavements and under the buildings that we pay rates for? Uh, very good question. Now, we've been told that uh, the staff that exist in councils will remain. Uh, they will remain in their same roles in their same location. What that means, I've no idea, because technically those staff will then be employed by the new entity. So does that mean they will lease space off councils for those staff to stay uh, inside the council building? The reality is you still need local staff to go out and do exactly what you're saying, unblock your stormwater drain. Uh, So they still need those people on the ground in the local communities. But again, we're not convinced of exactly how that's going to work. And I'm not sure that they know that yet. So I, I, one would hope that's in the information that you've been given now, but you suspect it possibly isn't? Uh, no, the, the information that we've got is the specific um, modelling, financial modelling that's been done for our council around what does it look like if we stay in the, if in the scheme or we opt out of the scheme. But the reality is, this is the spin coming in, the reality is whether you're in or out, the cost for three waters is going to go up. Whether you're a rent payer or a taxpayer, uh, in my view, makes no difference because we know the costs are going to go up. Um, you know, we've got we've also got to think about growth, climate change, all those kind of things um, have to be factored into it. So the cost is going to go up. So you know, no, we can't tell anybody that the cost will go down um, because the standards are going to raise. But it's just how is it better to be managed? Retain it with the local councils, take it into uh, four national entities, or is there another model in between that might work better? And my honest opinion at the moment is I I lack a little bit of confidence in what we're being told from government because it's a little bit of information, way too late, not enough detail, and certainly not enough answers to the questions that we've been asking. 
We are here with Mayor Helen Warboys from Manawatu District Council looking there at the three waters reform uh, and what the council needs to know in order to uh, have an informed decision and perhaps even consult with the community. If you missed any of that, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch up. You will be able to hear this interview again there. Uh, we've got a few minutes left, Helen. Let's turn to the turbos. You wanted to talk about rugby. Oh, yes, uh it was great. Went to the rugby on Friday night uh, with the Cyclones and the Turbos. Fantastic games. First games for the season. They both won. Um, great games. Really fun to watch. And uh, so I'm just saying get out there, back our teams, and let's hope they do well for the rest of the season. Um, obviously, the Turbos uh, managed to play a couple of games in Manfield last year. Is there any thought about that being a regular fixture? Uh, we're in conversation with the Manawatu Rugby Union about what that might look like. Um, there was never any intention to do that for this season um, because we need to do a whole lot of work about what that might look like and what um, what's the infrastructure need to be like, what's the cost, where does the money come from, all of those things. So we're still in discussion with them and very keen to see, just to give options, so that um, you know it's quite normal in many regions to have a couple of different playing areas for, uh, for rugby, but for us it's about how do we multi-purpose, particularly at Mansfield, if we're going to put some investment in there, it would need to be multi-purpose, not just for rugby. And there we go. We are completely out of time on the catch-up this morning. Remember, if you want to listen to this or previous editions of the catch-up series, head to the website npr.nz forward slash show forward slash catch-up. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition, hopefully with the Central Economic Development Agency. Make sure you join us then. Bye for now. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.